0: You know, at the end of the day, we want to build wild cars that are incredibly enjoyable to drive. And you better be having fun. Because, I mean, I can't imagine anything more fun than driving some of the cars we're building these days.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Horsepower Heritage. I'm Maurice Merrick. Greetings and salutations to all of you listening around the globe, and thanks for joining me once again for another episode, and I hope you had a restful holiday season. I had a great Christmas with family and friends, and also I've been taking some time away from the podcast and Instagram and all the other stuff to get after some of my own projects, mainly my 1931 Ford Model A Roadster, which I bought back in September, and I've told you about that on the show before. It was a runner when I bought it, but it really hadn't been driven for many years. And as it turned out, it needed some fairly in-depth work. It wasn't as easy as putting gas and oil in it and going. And they never are, really, right? But Model As are so simple to work on, it's actually been a lot of fun. And I have to admit, I'm not the greatest mechanic. I do okay, but in the course of recommissioning this car, I've been documenting it on the YouTube channel. And the next video is going to be up this week, so check it out if you're curious. Just go to Horsepower Heritage on YouTube, you'll find it. I have a few videos up on the Model A already, in addition to a bunch of other stuff. I'm going to do a whole series of videos on that car, and we're going to have some adventures in that thing this year. I can't wait. And speaking of YouTube, my interview with Ferrari stunt coordinator Robert Nagel has really done well over there. It just hit a hundred thousand views the other day, which is great because the Horsepower Heritage YouTube channel is a humble little presence in the great scheme of automotive channels over there, but it's growing every week. And you know, although people have mixed feelings about the Ferrari film, they seem to like hearing the behind the scenes stories from Robert. Got a lot of good comments on that video. Very positive. If you haven't seen that yet, or you haven't heard the podcast version, head over to YouTube, take a look at it. Tell me what you think. And Robert, I know you're out there listening. Thanks again for sitting down with me. That was a really fun day. Robert loved it, by the way, you guys, even though he drove about five hours, I think, back and forth to do the interview. He enjoyed it, and we were surrounded by a world-class collection of cars. He's a stand-up guy. Thank you again, Robert. And go see the film if you haven't seen it yet. Now, today I've got something completely different for you. If you like classic American muscle cars, but you also like resto mods, this is going to be right up your alley. My guest is Tom Porter from Speedcore, a Midwestern maker of the hottest resto mods out there. Speedcore takes things to a different level. They form full carbon fiber bodies and their own in house design chassis, and they conjure up modern Mopar dream cars. That's what I'd call them. The 68 through 70 Dodge Chargers are kind of their signature build. They've done more of those than others, but they've also done classic Camaros and even a vintage BMW, and you're going to hear all about those cars in this episode. Now, the other thing is Tom has been a gearhead his whole life because he was born into a family of sports car fans, grandfather and father, and you know how I love family stories about cars? Tom's got a really good one that, in a sense, goes all the way back to the earliest days of what could be considered the American muscle movement, the Horsepower Wars, all of that. So I really enjoyed this discussion with Tom Porter. And while you're listening, check out SpeedCore.com. That's core with a K, and there's a link in the show notes. You'll see their cars on the website. Cool stuff. Anyway, thanks again, guys, for all your support. Onward and upward for 2024. I'm glad you're out there listening. And when we come back, it's American Muscle with Tom Porter of Speedcore. That's coming up right after this. This episode of Horsepower Heritage is sponsored by Model Citizen Diecast. No matter what's in your garage, you can fit all your automotive heroes on a shelf. And they've got you covered whether it's 143rd scale, 118th scale, or even the ginormous 1:8 scale masterpieces from the Amalgam Collection. Go to modelcitizendiecast.com and get 10% off when you use the promo code HERITAGE at checkout. Limitations apply. From race cars to street cars and everything in between, it's Model Citizen DieCast because your inner child still wants to play with cars. You know, Tom, there is just something about Wisconsin and car culture. Shout out to you guys. I mean, California gets a lot of attention for its car culture, but Wisconsinites really are into their cars. Absolutely. I mean, it's a hotbed and it has been since the
0: late 40s, because the in the Chicago area you had most of the wealth that were, you know, the socialites that were buying the early sports cars. And, but most of the the immigrant mechanics were based in the Milwaukee area uh, and and in southeastern Wisconsin. They were servicing the cars just over the border in Racine, Kenosha, and Milwaukee. Um, And you saw a lot of turnover of those sports cars. And often they were bought and purchased by the mechanics that were servicing them. This area has so many you know, historically significant cars, it's, it's astounding. Um, but I think that that spurned the current generation of builders or collectors and restorers, um, you know, Mike and Jimmy Ring, Speed Corps. Um, there's, there's quite a few in this area up in Appleton. You have motion industries, a Ferrari interior and restoration shop. I mean, they're winning or placing and showing it at Pebble beach every year. Um, there, there is, Real understanding and uh, appreciation for uh, maintaining cars
1: and uh, and restoring in this area for sure. Well, and there's also a manufacturing history with Nash and then which became American Motors being built in Kenosha. A uh, famous son of Wisconsin, Harry Miller, who absolutely built incredible racing cars in the early days of Indianapolis and. So there's a great heritage in the state of Wisconsin and now Speedcore is a part of that. Absolutely. We've uh, been around for
0: uh 7 years now. Um seems like an eternity to us, but we're based here in Grafton, which is you're you're just north of Milwaukee, right? Correct. Yeah, about 15 miles north. And uh we have, you know, a 35,000 square foot shop and we employ nine shop guys from fabrication to composite to paint and body and mechanical. We build everything in-house. Um, but right across the street from us is our parent company and that's Capco Metal Stamping. That allows us uh, an interesting position because we can be vertically integrated. We can design our frames, speed core frames in our facility and we can export those files across the street to Capco where they will laser cut the frame designs that we have out of 12 gauge steel. And then we bring them back over and we create fixturing and we make our own frames. Um, that's pretty unique in this era of, of pro touring builds. Most people will, uh, you know, source a frame from Roadster shop, um, uh, namely, but there, there's others out there, but Art Morrison. um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got it. And uh so for us to be able to build our cars from the ground up is is pretty special.
1: You guys are at the forefront of technology. You're exploiting the latest technology in your builds, which is interesting because that blend of the classic muscle car, right? The look and the feel, the emotion of that, but also with the latest materials and design tech. Absolutely. You know, blue light scanning
0: and CAD development is pretty standard place now for most of the, you know, what I would consider upper echelon builders. Um, we've been doing that since the onset. Tom, describe blue light scanning. Sure. So, um, when you want to create a, a frame, we would, it, as an example. We would take, a uh, one or two good examples of, a say a 1970 Dodge Charger. We would strip the entire car, um, we would measure it manually, and then we would, it would be mounted on a surface plate. Where we would then bring in a large computer, powerful computer, and scan all the surfaces, interior, exterior, engine bay. Um, and you're basically creating like a topographic map or a model of the entire structure of the car. From there, when we have two good examples of that, we can overlay those and we can make sure that the frame designs that we're going to put under these shells um, are going to be exacting to, you know, a a very high tolerance. Um, Those data sets then allow us to develop a frame, develop the suspension locations, develop the cage. We build you know, 3D print and design the dash and the gauge clusters and everything all around these data models um, allows us to put an engine in a car. We can see if it's going to fit. Where do we need? What kind of custom motor miles do we need? Is the K-member going to interfere with the pan on a 6.2 Hemi or a 7 liter Hemi, whatever? All those things are things that we can work out. Um,
1: so you're really building the car digitally before you ever swing a tool or bend a piece of metal or That's, there's a lot of truth in that. The, the first ones are a
0: little rougher. Um, but once you've gone through the iteration process on the second build, it's always going to be a little bit smoother. Um, now that we built a fair amount of, you know, B-body Mopar cars, that aspect of it is relatively repeatable. We build four frames at a time now and we shelve them, shelve two of them. And then we build, work on two cars, you know, next to each other. They could be completely different, but in terms of what they're going to end up being, but the frames and that process is repeatable.
1: Right. And I think it's fair to say that your secret recipe is a big honkin' Mopar V8 wrapped in carbon. It is. It is.
0: I mean, you know, we work with DSR, Doug Schumacher Racing. Um, they provide us crate motors. They also build motors for FCA. They are the go-to for, for the, for the power plants that we use, um, we've had the luxury to, to build a car with Ralph Giles, um, the head of, you know, Stellantis styling, you know, he penned the, the ACR Viper, um, right. last gen. Um, so from, in, in terms of, yeah, what Speedcore is, we have aligned ourselves within the, the Mopar, you know, rank. That's where we want to be. It's what we love. We have a, a lot of guys here. that are all drag racers. They're, they, they, they live and breathe it. Yeah, absolutely. Those motors are the ones we want to use. Um, we've developed a history with them and uh they're the perfect balance of power. Um at seven hundred and seven horsepower and a six two. I mean, it's we're not using any traction control at this time. Future builds we're considering that option, things like that, and trying to develop that. But right now that's that's drivable horsepower
1: um as far as we're concerned. By the way, you mentioned Ralph, you know, he's one of the guys that conceived the Dodge SRT division, street and racing technology for for people that aren't really Mopar folks, which it's interesting because Chrysler was married up with Daimler for a while. They saw what AMG was doing over there. And Ralph was like, yeah, we could have our own division like that within Dodge. And that's where SRT was born. So amazing performance coming out of that division over many years now. And I happen to know Ralph and he's a terrific guy. He's brilliant, but he's also just a gentleman. Lots of fun to talk to. I, eventually I'm going to have Ralph on the show, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him. Good guy. Yeah, he's great. Um,
0: you know, with his creative prowess to, you know, be able to execute on the build with him was fascinating. The design criteria, he knew exactly what he wanted and he could, we could FaceTime and he could walk around the car and say, change the, you know, the hood scoop to this design and this shape. And we, it was, it was a, a, a pleasure to work with the guy. He's just a, a, consummate professional and understood us and we understood him. And, uh, honestly to, through this, the six plus years we've been at Speedcore, delivering a car to Ralph and, we met him at Gingerman racetrack outside of Michigan. And, you know, we show up with a car and it's got a set of radials on it. And then there's a set of, you know, track slicks on another set of wheels. You know, that's how, how Ralph is. He wants to be able to track this car. And he showed up with his ACR Viper and an Alfa Romeo that he's done some trick stuff with and took over the track for the day. But point I'm making is he is a driver and he got in the car and, 100 degrees and did 10 sessions in the car and did threshold braking and just really, really put this car through its paces. And we couldn't have been more pleased. The car just absolutely responded. It was, it was great. And, uh, he's still enjoying it to this day. It's we should cool. mention it's a 68 Charger based car. Uh, yeah, it's a, a 1968 Charger, um, with a early, uh, I believe it might be elephant crate number zero zero one um which was really appropriate um in the early production run
1: yeah a thousand horsepower right a thousand horsepower correct yeah and you guys tend to give your cars names and that particular car was called hallucination right h-e-l-l hallucination
0: yes i believe ralph's daughter or niece came up with the name for that car yeah no yeah we, we sure do we uh try to You know, pick up on the nomenclature and try to carry that from hallucination to Hellraiser to a number of different cars we've done. Helacious.
1: Yeah. And it's good to have a sense of humor, right? Like you're not taking yourselves too seriously. (laughs) This is all about fun. It is. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we want to build, you know,
0: wild cars that are incredibly enjoyable to drive. And you better be having fun because I mean, I can't imagine anything more fun than driving. Some of the cars we're building these days. So,
1: how does it work? Does a customer come to you with a car, and you know they've got what you need is the VIN number, right? Because pretty much you're remanufacturing everything. So, does a customer come to you with the vehicle and say, "Build me a Speedcore car"? Yes, uh, a client will approach us
0: with a with an idea. Let me let me say first of all, it's rare that we ever have inventory. If I had a car to sell today, I could sell it tomorrow. It's it. There's you know we're lucky. You know people are always looking for they, that. We get a lot of calls of <laughs> me cars available. So it ends up that we are primarily taking orders and building to order. That's a great journey. Most of the clients that I have, when we complete a car, they get back in line again. Wow! They want to go on. They want to get on the speed core ride again. They love it's it's a. It's rare that you can have build an American muscle car. And have this sort of involvement in in details of the car that we provide it's it's a pretty enjoyable process
1: so I take it you mean that the client is involved in every step you know they're speccing the car and making you know style decisions and tech decisions with you guys.
0: yeah, so beyond what we've kind of discussed in the frame and and the running gear of the car, um, they have options around the power plant, the transmission, those would be standard choices. Um, but when we get to the interior of the car, there's details that, that clients are looking for. Um, they're very bespoke interiors. The, obviously the gauge clusters, colors, um, materials um, type. Yeah. Materials types of seats. Um, the effects in the car, um, all those are, are, are pretty much open. You can choose, you know, there's, we're, we're not, you know, when you talk about new technology, a lot of it is based in that area of the car. It's the interface between the the, the client and, and and the vehicle. So, um, in Ralph's case, we did a front hinge hood for his 68 charger. If you think of the engineering work that's involved with changing a hood to have it hinge forward as opposed to the standard, you know, rear, you know, firewall hinge, um, that's a, that's a great example. Custom wheels, uh, we provide those options as well. Um, and uh yeah, so
1: it's it's a it's a it's a fantastic experience for for the buyer. I've got to say by the way that your underhood detailing is so clean. It's difficult to hide wiring and hide systems. You managed to do that. You managed to make the modern engine the centerpiece which, you know, so many engines now are just covered in plastic and they're they're hidden but you guys make it the centerpiece which is I think how it should be
0: yeah you know again that's been that's evolved for us you know when we did the tantrum that was a nine liter sixteen hundred and fifty horsepower you know mercury you know racing q c four engine it's a packaging in and around had we had the headers over the top of the motor i mean it was it's an incredible, you know, amount of time just to 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 get everything to fit in the engine bay. But over the years we've developed our engine bay kind of look and feel carbon fiber panels that, you know, fit very very cleanly in the in the engine bay. It works with the different models and the crates that we provide as an option. The nice thing about it is you can remove them and accessibility is a really big part of why speed core car is great yeah because you need to service them ultimately you need to you know and you can take this stuff out it's easy it's thought out and you can put it back in and um it's just that's an important part of it that is one of our most important uh considerations when we do anything it has to be serviceable you have to be able to get at it
1: right Hey, there was another interesting bill that you guys did that I wanted to talk about. We talked about Ralph's 68 Charger, but you built a car for Robert Downey Jr. And it's not something maybe people would expect out of SpeedCore having this Mopar focus, but it's a BMW E9 Coupe, a 1974. Absolutely. Robert's
0: been a, a client of SpeedCore since early on. Um, we did three different builds for him we did a a 70 boss mustang as well um beautiful car but the the e9 was um a fascinating project we used a an m series motor um that we sourced locally um here in milwaukee and uh it took quite a bit there was there was a lot of customization that came in um brembo helped us out with um some custom brake pieces that we needed for that car To get the suspension where we wanted it in a certain stance, there was some modifications we really had to do in and around the wheel areas of the car. The interior, um, completely driven by Robert, the choice of materials, it turned out to be a a, a pretty darn nice little car. I haven't seen it in a few years. I'd I'd love to lay eyes on it again. At that time at Speed core, I was working primarily in the composite side of the business and wasn't real close to that project, but it was definitely a a change in direction for us at that time,
1: yeah, I think it's interesting that Robert Downey jr turns out to be a car guy that's pretty cool and um so this e nine is kind of an interesting uh like a burnt orange color. It's clearly a resto mod. you wouldn't mistake it for stock e9 i think that that body shell really lends itself to resto modding and uh, most of those cars by the way are so rusty inside uh even a mint looking car there's a, a lot of moisture traps in that body just by virtue of how it was built they were built by carmen so there's a lot of moisture traps and even cars from dry uh regions tend to rust out in certain places so What I'm getting at is if you're going to dismantle them and they need a lot of rust repair, why not resto mod it? You know, I think it's a cool take. It is. I love the stance of that car. When I
0: think of Speedcore and I think, you know, if you look at a kind of a composite of the different cars we built, you'll notice a certain stance. You know, the wheels are big. The stance is lowered. Um, but it's appropriate. You have full suspension travel, you know, and that's one of the amazing things about the cars that we do build. Um, you can go and performance drive that e9 you can performance drive the 68 that
1: ralph has all of them there you can track day those cars really really enjoy them? yeah that's really cool um speaking of track days let's talk about the suspension and handling performance of these cars because yes a thousand horsepower or 707 horsepower those are big numbers it's impressive but if you can't get that power to the ground and maintain traction and handle well, what good is it? Right? Absolutely.
0: You know, speed core cars are using Detroit speed front links and we have our own developed uh, speed core four link in the back. We use Penske 7,500s coil overs and they're really, they're nice and adjustable, large sway bars. And, you know, that's really where it starts. Um, you know, from uh, the design characteristics of the frame, I don't know that there's much more I can I can tell you other than when we design the frame, we want to get the mass as low as possible in the car. Um, we are the current cars that we're building are using carbon fiber floors. In some cases we have designed a center uh, truss that hangs over, uh it's connected in the, the center of the car and it supports the entire weight of the transmission, allowing us to actually get the floors lower in the car, therefore creating a lower center of mass and making the car's handle you know even better.
1: And I'm guessing that they're far stiffer than a stock 69 charger or 70 CUDA. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, we use a 12 gauge steel. When we laser cut our frames, they come in. We convert a deck over to fixturing and we'll create, like I mentioned earlier, four frames at a time. Typically we'll create all the ladder frames, all the, all the, you know, the rails, all the cross members we will pre-build all the cages generally. Um, and that's just a, a product of efficiency. Like I mentioned, we'll shelve two of the frames when they're done, but we'll use two for the builds that we're working on at a particular time. Um, in the process of building the frames, we will tack together three sides of the frame rail, and then we will we internally route um, our fuel lines and our oil lines inside the frame rails, and they're pressure tested, and then we cap those lines so that you are creating a you know really a perfect environment, and it's a nice clean look, like you mentioned in the engine bay. Um, running all the way through the bottom of the car, you never see, you know, lines for the dry sump if you're running that, um, or any of the the fuel lines.
1: Now, Tom, you guys didn't make it to SEMA this year because the the next big project you're working on wasn't quite ready. But there's another show coming up, am I right? Yes, the Grand National Roadster Show
0: in Pomona. That's right, at the end of January, and uh, that's highly. Uh, it, it, it's the best show i mean for us it's incredible we've unveiled several cars there we're honored to go back out there again and bring another another nice vehicle to that.
1: what what can you tell us about that particular car
0: um uh, it's probably the best car that we've ever built um in terms of fit and finish and we're really excited about it so that's probably where I'll leave it right now.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah,
0: it's it's good. I, I can tell you it won't have the name, it won't say hellacious or have the the, the name hell in it. This time. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: well, I look forward to seeing that. I'll I'll be out there at the show. Okay. So um and if you're there, we we gotta we gotta say hello. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to. Hey, you know, I would also like to talk about your own car background. Have you always been in automotive professionally? You know,
0: um, it's a good thing. This is a long podcast cause it's kind of, it could be a really long story, but, um, <laughs> I have always been around road racing being in Southeastern Eastern Wisconsin. We're just 45 minutes from road America and my family for three generations has been involved in road racing even before road America was there. My grandfather Was a purveyor of nice sports cars and owned two 300 SL aluminum body cars. Wow. Um, at one time. Yeah. And, uh, he, uh, in 1949 bought a XK 120 Jaguar from Hoffman. And my grandmother was put on a train to Hoffman Motors where she took delivery of the car, drove it back to Milwaukee. From New York. Yes, wow. So that was what you did in, the, in that era, right? So my father going to he was in high school on the east side of Milwaukee, and uh, at about the same time, road racing in Elkhart Lake was taking off. Uh, 1950, 1949 I'm sorry, 1950, 51, and '52, they were hosting road races around Elkhart Lake, and the Porter family had the 120 jag. And my dad was in charge of preparing the car and getting it to Elkhart Lake. And in those days, you would bring the car up to the the road race track, if you will, hay bale lined street, and you gave the keys over to what was called a family driver. And this gentleman's name was Don Warren, and he was uh, uh, an Air Force pilot and considered fearless. And that's the person that you put in your car and they went out and they drove the car without seatbelts and they raced, you know, with shoe polish numbers, um, a sports car around the lake track. And, uh, your family then went out to the corner in your best tweed and you stood on the inside of the hay bales and you cheered for the family car (laughs) and you drank too much. And, but that was what you did. 135,000 people coming to these events, it's hard to imagine how many people would overwhelm a small little hamlet like Elkhart Lake. I mean, it's just it's astounding. but that's where it really started, you know, with our family. At that same time, at that same event, my uncle Jim and my dad saw an Allard, and it was parked in front of a small, small resort called the Pine Point, and the car was sitting there. And it didn't run. The transmission had broken, which is a common problem for Allard's. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, so my, they took slide film of the car and fast forward to 1969. My father had four kids, had taken on his grandfather's law practice, um, had graduated college, you know, kids, you know, right away after. college. And in Milwaukee, there was something called the Milwaukee hot rod show. And it was held at the, the Milwaukee State Fair Park, which is the home of the oldest oval racetrack, you know, the Milwaukee Mile. But this event is held in December, freezing cold. I mean, just absolutely frigid. Well, he and his best friend at the time, Mark Daniels, um, they drove out there and sitting at the Milwaukee Hot Rod Show was this Allard. But it was painted blue and cream to match a single engine Cessna airplane that was parked next to it and it had a for sale sign and it turns out that the gentleman that was selling it was another guy from the Racine area of Wisconsin just south of Milwaukee about 30 minutes and he was going through a divorce and needed to sell the car so he didn't lose it in the in the divorce proceedings so Mark decided to tell my mother about the car as a surprise for my dad My mom got a hold of the guy and she bought that car and it's the same car we have today. And it's got a really unique history. It's one of 12 Allard J2X cars that Keane was imported with motor mounts for a 331 Hemi. And Vince Granatelli imported three of them, either the fall of 51 or the spring of 52. And the cars came over and this one uh, went right to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, where Carl Keycaper put a Marine Mercury Marine 331 motor in, and it has twin Carter 900 CFM four barrels. It's got a 42 gallon fuel cell, um, has a 48 Ford Pilot three speed transmission, a DD on torque tube. Um, it makes about 300 horsepower for a 2,200 pound car. And after the motor was in it it was delivered up to St. Paul, Minnesota to a guy named Eddie Jones and Eddie, uh, had a small garage in St. Paul where he maintained the car, but it was an ice race car. Wow. It was ice raced. Yeah. It was super unique. It was ice raced at the St. Paul carnival in St. Paul, Minnesota. And in that day, you didn't put studded tires on. It was even, it, it, it Uh, it was before that process even happened. What they do is they'd go out and plow the ice the night before, and then they would come through with Bunsen burner heaters, melt the top layer of the, of the ice, and then throw sand in the ice and then freeze it. And that was how you gain traction. And, uh, you actually raced other cars. It wasn't just you out there against the clock. So pretty fascinating car, but it, that same car. That following July was down in Elkhart Lake being, you know, it had been entered by Eddie Jones and he had broken the transmission. And uh, we, my dad came, came into that car and we've
1: had it ever since. Very interesting. And yeah, I I, I should just mention for people who aren't familiar with Allard's, Sidney Allard was an Englishman who was a car designer and he was one of the first guys to put an American V8 in a small post-war sports car. And in fact, Carroll Shelby raced an Allard among others. So a lot of them had a 331 Cadillac. Some of them had the Chrysler Firepower Hemi. You're
0: right. Absolutely. Shelby, you know, racing Allard's and uh, Zorro Duntoff. Sure. Um, you Father know, the of the for Absolutely. I mean, this, this, this car was, uh, uh, they're very instrumental and influential to what you see in, american muscle and uh key kafer is the kind of the grandfather of nascar so that he was in the marine marine it was a you know out of a 300 probably um but it was what they had and and uh but it was it was what would fit in the car that's what makes it kind of a unique story but
1: tom i was just at the velocity invitational in sonoma california um which is a terrific vintage racing event and Uh, there were a few Allard's there, so it's fun to see them go around always. And I haven't sat in an Allard, but I imagine you're almost, you, it almost feels like you're sitting on top of the car because as a driver, you are really, uh, sitting almost straight up and you're kind of exposed. A lot of cars of the era were like that. The drivers didn't start to get low really until the mid 1950s in, uh, in open wheelers which this practically is. Yeah, it
0: I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the cars are we describe it as, you know, driving a high-speed hay wagon. I mean, they're they're just absolutely there's tons of camber when you're sitting in the car and then when you accelerate away the wheels stand up straight. The position in the car is just so unique. They're a blast to drive. I mean, you know, for the era the J2 was a much more successful car sydney created the the j2x because he wanted to fit in the car uh, that was primarily the reason so he changed the wheelbase a little bit because he was a really big guy um and they were going to go to le mans in 55 which they did with the le mans body car um which were with tommy cole they were very successful there but you know the j2 wasn't going to be the 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 package to be able for him to fit in it it's an it was an interesting era especially you know when you ask about how our family lineage, you know, came through this, you know, when I mentioned my father being the young, you know, having a young family coming into a car, finding this one, buying this, this was not an exception. The guys in this era, in this area of Southeastern Wisconsin were young professionals that were doing extremely well. Many of them in, they were, might've been doctors, but many of them were lawyers or took over, um, family businesses. And they were buying X-Works cars, NARC Ferraris, Aston
1: Martins. Um, well, um, you mentioned the XK120 that your grandfather yeah. got. And very few people really understood these European sports cars at the time. And, and, th- and it was basically unlike anything being built in the United States. So, yeah, they were a different breed, weren't they? Absolutely. my dad's dearest friend, Mark Daniels, that I mentioned,
0: he had Mastin Gregory's um, Jaguar Type-C, number 015, and he had the sister car to it as well. Mastin
1: Gregory, the Kansas City Flash, they called him. The great escape artist, yeah. Yeah, a Midwestern boy who went to Europe and raced with the the big names and became a big name in his own right. So talented. Yeah. It's amazing. Le Mans, I mean, yeah,
0: fantastic. I mean, that is... The most exceptional car that, you know, I ever had the opportunity to, to ride in or see or be around, you know, there's so much influence there, you know, the, it it was amazing. I could walk out my door as a young kid and the tell, you know, my father would say, you know, be, be finishing a telephone call with Mark and he'd say, I'll be right over and we'd run outside and we could hear that car coming for like two and a half miles you know, on a country road. And he was, you know, wound up, um, the kind of resale market for some of these X works cars was there with road America just opening in 1955. It was only, you know, 10 or 12 years old and these cars were available and these privateers could buy these cars and they were street legal. They weren't just specific race cars. I mean, these are sports cars raced. And that's a really important determination because these guys, we could go to this local bar. It was called Buddy Beaks. And I could remember going as a kid. We'd show up there and there would be 15 rare sports cars from Aston Martins to Ferraris to Porsches to Allers to Jaguars. I mean, it was all
1: there. And those were the days when... You could buy a car off the showroom floor, tape up your headlights, maybe put a different set of tires on, and, and drive it to the track and race, and then drive home. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: that was the formative years for me and for my brothers. My father, um, soon after, started racing um, in SCCA. Um, he bought another really cool car. It was a 1967 uh, Alpha GTA. That had been, was the, uh, under two liter Trans Am championship winning car of horse Quek. And again, that car was right here in Milwaukee. It was maintained by a guy named Charlie Mollica and Charlie, um, the car was for sale. My dad bought it and a guy named Ron Neal down in Wheeling, Illinois was building all the motors for Quek and for that, for that car. And we raced that car from 1973 to 1980 and got invited to the, uh, Road Atlanta, SCCA runoffs, I think six straight years. And we never went, ironically, it was just too expensive. You know, my dad was pretty frugal, you know, he liked to prove the fact that he could actually qualify for the runoffs, which meant you had to race five or six races in your division. And then you had to go out of division. And you had to be, you had to podium, you had to get points. SCC is a lot different now. I think you can enter three races and you don't even have to finish them and you <laughs> can get invited to the route. It's a different world. Um, but by the time the racing season, the runoffs came up, it was just taking a week off from his law practice. It wasn't going to be practical. practice, sure. but it was a lifestyle. It was what we did. Yeah. You know, my mom, she was in the, in the car and she'd go and volunteer as a registrar at all the races And it was a lifestyle we lived. Um, Now, Tom, do you, do you vintage race the Allard? I don't vintage race it. I bring it up. Um, I'll do uh, like historic reenactments. Right. Um, I don't have a cage in the car um, because I think it's kind of. Sacrilege? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't even say that. I just don't really like the look of it. Yeah. Um, But I do have a 42 gallon fuel cell in it um, because I really don't want to wear, you know, engulfed in a drum drum of fuel yeah you know something that's a, a good safety precaution there
1: well i bet that car is just a whole lot of fun to get out on your beautiful wisconsin two-lane highways in the summertime and just cruise it it is fun it there's so much power
0: in that car there's just no weight to it as far as you know the, the vintage racing i raced a sports 2000 for many many years at taiga my dad was influential in uh I'm um, starting that series, and he was one of the founders to homologate that class in SECA. The Sports 2000 being raced over in Europe. This um, is a support series for Formula Two and Formula Three, and a number of the same guys that I described to you already decided those are cool cars. Let's bring them over to the states. So they got in touch with Carl Haas down in in Chicago, and uh, uh, they imported five Lolas, and then my dad imported the first Taiga and they showed up at an SCCA race, and the rules were if you showed up with five cars or more, the SCCA would homologate that car into their rules. And so that was the beginning of Sports 2000 racing in North America. We still have that original 78 Taiga. Very
1: cool. All right. Well, listen, thanks for being on. Tom Porter from SpeedCore, and you can check more out. You got to look at these builds, speedcore.com. And that's K-O-R-E, speedcore.com. Tom, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Maurice, thank you so much.
0: Um, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. It is something I listen to regularly and uh, continue to do so. And if you're ever in the Midwest, please come by Speedcore. I want to give you a personal tour, and uh, I hope to see you out at Grand National Roadster Show. Um, we'll be out there end of, Feb- uh, end of January, early February. So uh, we got a car to show you. And I'll let you, let you get in that thing and check it out.
1: It sounds good to me. And uh, yeah, you'll get a little bit of uh, sunny weather. You get to thaw out a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've been blessed so far, but I know it's going to get us. Oh, yeah. I know it's coming.
0: It's I coming. know it's coming. So, All right, my friend. Thank you very much. Absolutely, Maurice. Good talk with you.
1: That's all for this episode of Horsepower Heritage. Guys, I've got lots of great stuff planned for the podcast this year, but... I would really love to know what you'd like to hear about. So seriously, drop me a line at horsepowerheritage.com. Go to the website. Just click on the contact button over there. Say hello. Let me know what you want me to cover, and I will do it. Shoot for the moon, too. If you want to hear Lewis Hamilton on the show, I'll try to get him. You know what? It's amazing. Sometimes all you have to do is ask, and the greatest people will say, absolutely, let's do it. All right. Have a great week. I will see you back here on Wednesday, January 31st for more of the people and stories behind the machines. So until then, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening.